Well, welcome to Life Church today. My name is Dustin, one of the pastors here at Life Church, and thankfully I was not on the screen for a lookalike uh, today uh, because that was embarrassing. Um, we are concluding our series called The Score today, and today's message is called The High Score. We're talking about the high score today. We all aim to do our best in life, right? We want to succeed. We want to reach the summit or the pinnacle of whatever we are setting out to do in our life. But what really is the high score for the Christ follower? Let me ask you this. What actually determines success in your life? What determines success in your life? For some of you, it's a certain number, right? If it's either sitting in your bank account or if it's coming in on an annual basis, if you hit that number, then you are successful. For others of you, it's reaching a particular rung as you climb the corporate ladder. Getting to that rung, success for you. For some of you, it is just you're simply in the pursuit of happiness. And so whatever that might mean for you, maybe for you that is a loving spouse and a nice house and a white picket fence and two kids or something like that. For others of you, that is not success. And so maybe for you, it is uh, like um, just maximizing your time so that you're able to spend more time with friends or on your hobbies. What determines success for you? I have the haunting suspicion that so many of us are living our lives in pursuit of the wrong high scores. That, that some of us, our measure of success makes total sense in the world in which we live. It makes total sense to the people around us in our lives. But at the end of the day, we are missing the true marks of success, the ones that really matter, the ones that matter on an eternal scale. And today we're going to go to a passage in the New Testament from one of Paul's letters, 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there now, 2 Timothy chapter 4, to read some of the Apostle Paul's last penned words. Paul knew that the end of his life was rapidly approaching, Emperor Nero was ruling Rome at the time, and he was leading one of the most egregious persecutions against Christians in all of history. This is Paul's second imprisonment in Rome, and he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, to encourage him to persevere. That in face of all that he's facing, to, to, to stand strong, to not give up, to finish the race, and in this text, we'll discover the key to obtaining true and lasting success, success that really matters. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul had an uncanny confidence, even though he knew the day of his death was right around the corner. 
And this confidence, in spite of what he was facing, came by three perspectives. We'll talk about them in turn. Three perspectives that we must also have if we too want to find true success, if we want to find lasting success, if we want to reach our ultimate goal and achieve our high score. The first perspective is that of the grave. It's the grave. And I hope this doesn't surprise you. But one day, you're going to die right? I, I know you didn't come to church today to be reminded of your own mortality, but that's the reality. Like, and I, I imagine the majority of us are just not okay with that. Like, we didn't sign up for that. We didn't agree to that. We're not okay with that. Uh, so we spend our lives trying to prevent that, right? So we avoid the sun as much as possible. We wear sunscreen when we do have to go out in the sun. We try to eat healthy. Uh, we, we, Go on walks. We buckle our seatbelt, right? All these are good things. We try to get eight hours of sleep at night, seven hours, of, six hours of sleep at night. We try to sleep some. And we do all of these things to try to outrun, to try to outpace the end of our life, to live long and prosper. And no matter what we do, death still wins out in the end. Paul knew that his day was, was coming. In verse six, he said this. He said, for I am... I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. It sounds poetic, but that's not a good thing. And the time of my departure has come. He's not talking about a train he has to get to. Is that not scary? Like sitting in prison knowing that today might be the day. Paul looks down at the grave The sight that terrifies so many of the richest and the wisest and the mightiest on earth. And yet he does not shrink back. What impact does your own mortality have on the way that you live your life? Do you see death as some kind of impending doom that you can't outrun or escape, a dark shadow creeping in the corners of your room? Or do you see it as a welcomed reprieve from the difficulties and the struggles of life? Do you try to ignore it and hope that it goes away? Or do you try to outrun it, outpace it? Some say that nothing in life is certain except two things. Have you heard this before? What are those two things? Death and taxes, right? Uh, Author Terry Pratchett, he wrote that of the two, taxes are the worse. uh, Because at least death doesn't happen to you every single year. (laughs) Our Life Leadership College students have made fun of me for doing this before, but years ago I sent them a a, a text. uh, I sent them a text, and in that text was an address to meet for a very special chapel. Typically when we're meeting for chapel, we meet in an auditorium, and we have your standard worship, a devotion, and, uh, and some prayer time. And, uh, but this day, we wanted to do, uh, we wanted, I wanted to do something unique. And so I texted them this address. They all put that address into their phone, into their GPS, and uh, all showed up a few minutes later at a cemetery. And for the next half hour, we walked around looking at the different gravestones in that cemetery. And uh, some of the the, uh, gravestones uh, said that, you know, these these people had fought in wars. Or some of the the gravestones commented or showed us that these, these people had lived hundreds of years ago. Other gravestones 
showed that uh, some were, you know, still had fresh flowers out front and so people were coming to it regularly and some didn't have anything and had been lost to time. And there was one thing that every single one of the lives memorialized in that cemetery had in common. That at some point, whether they were 10 or 20, whether they were 50 or 100, they all had died. And we gathered together after those 30 minutes, and I taught from Paul's words to the Philippian church. In Philippians 1, 21, Paul said, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul lived his life in such a way that he saw death not as some inevitable loss, but as a monumental achievement, a gateway or a a, a portal into an eternity with Christ. You see, for Paul, fear wasn't his prevailing emotion. When he looked at death, there was some kind of hopeful expectation, not ignorantly denying the pain that death brings, and it does, but eagerly expecting the life that was to come. And the one question that I had for the students that day in that graveyard is the same question that I pose to you today. Is the life you're living worthy of the death you'll someday die? Is the life you're living worthy of the death you'll someday die? The first perspective that we must have in order to truly succeed might sound counterintuitive, but it was true for Paul and it's true for us. We must, from time to time, glance downward at the grave. The second perspective that we must have is that of service. The second perspective is service. Like many of us do from time to time, Paul was looking back into his life. And rather than be consumed with despair towards his many misdeeds, and there were many, Paul was actually proud of what he had done and who he had become. In verse 7 of our text, it said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Here Paul likens his life to a soldier completing a mission, to a runner crossing over the finished line and to a steward keeping what was entrusted to him. He looks back without crippling regrets because even though he spent a good portion of his life as an enemy of Christ, remember, he had only been a Christian for just a few years. But he is able to look back at his life and even though a large portion of it, he was an enemy of Christ. Not just apathetic, but an, an ardent enemy of Christ. He knew that everything changed when he met Jesus. Everything changed when Jesus saved him, and when Jesus redirected him, and when Jesus enabled him to fulfill the mission assigned to him. Once he met Jesus, he was no longer defined by his sin or his mistakes. He was defined by his Savior. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. As you look back on your life, 
can you say the same? God's not looking for perfection. Thank God. Uh, You are going to run over speed bumps along the way. For some of you, the speed bumps are massive. And for some of us, we didn't know if we were going to make it. Your journey might not have been an easy one. Paul certainly wasn't. But can you, at this point in your life, look back and stand proud of what you've accomplished and stand proud of who you've become? And can you point to God's infinite mercy and grace as the sole reason you've made it? The Christian life is not one of perfection. The Christian life is simply one of perseverance. In order to fight the good fight, in order to finish a race, in order to keep the faith, you must simply not give up. You might run slower at certain seasons of your life. You might twist an ankle. You might break a leg. You might get knocked down to the mat from time to time. But it is imperative that you just get back up again, that you just get back up again, that you keep running, that you keep fighting, whatever the analogy. Christian life is one of perseverance. And it requires actively contending in all seasons of life. And in some seasons, it's easier than in others. But as a Christ follower, you and I, we must contend when we are rich or when we are poor. When we are healthy or when we are unhealthy. When we are employed or when we are unemployed. When you are recognized and the spotlight is blinding your eyes or when you are neglected, unappreciated, and unrecognized. Baylor Barbie is an author and triathlete and she reminds us that whether a mile or a marathon, you get there the same way, one step at a time. Dean Karnazes, who once ran 350 miles in 80 hours and 44 minutes without sleep, and I don't understand why, famously said, run when you can, walk if you have to, crawl if you must, just never give up. Jack Dempsey, the world heavyweight champion from 1919 to 1926, said, a champion is someone who gets up when they can't. I could go all day spiritualizing sports quotes because you can preach, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, but I will move on. The point is, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. You can look back on your life, proud of what you've done and who you've become, if you simply refuse to throw in the towel. It doesn't matter what kind of start you got, What matters is that you finish well. So I ask again, is your life worthy? Is the life you're living worthy of the death you'll someday die? As he was nearing the conclusion of his life on earth, Paul had three perspectives in mind. He looked down to the grave. He looked back towards his life life of service. And lastly, he looked forward, anticipating his Reunion with Christ. That's the third perspective that we must have. The grave, our life of service, and Christ.
I hope that after you've attended Life Church long enough, you have caught on and you've come to the conclusion that, man, they sort of preach the same thing every single Sunday. Like, no matter who's up there preaching, no matter if it's from the Old Testament or from the New Testament, every single sermon ends up being about the same guy. They always talk about Jesus. Maybe you've caught on. Hopefully you have. If not, just wait. You're going to get tired of it. Hopefully not, right? Like, hopefully, every single sermon without fail, we always come to the same conclusion. Jesus. And if we do that, I think that we are succeeding. Because Life Church is a Jesus church. We are all about Jesus, unapologetically about Jesus. It's all about him. And we believe that every problem in this world can be fixed with more Jesus. The answer is more Jesus. If you, uh, if you have issues in your life, which you do, right? The, the, the way to solve those issues is more Jesus. The way to have less sin is not to focus on the sin and try to have less of it. It's to try to focus on Jesus and try to have more of Jesus. That's how you get through anything and everything in life. Yeah, it's all about Jesus. It is. That's the, that is the main thing we should get excited about here. It's all about Jesus. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we preach these messages. That's why we have life groups. That's why we do baptisms. That's why we do life track. That's why we do missions trips. Everything is about Jesus. And Paul would seem to agree. Paul looks forward to his future in verse 8, and he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul knew that it was only his heartbeat that kept him from his crown. He was just a handful of breaths away from a forever with his Savior. There are a number of crowns that the New Testament authors envision us someday receiving, right? The the crown of glory, the crown of life. Here Paul speaks of the crown of righteousness. And as cool as it would be to someday wear a crown or a tiara for the ladies or a top hat for the gentlemen, uh, the real reward is not in the crown, but in who will be rewarding the crown. Are you following me? It's not about having jewels on your head. It's about the one that is giving the the crown. Look at the text, right? It's Jesus Christ, the Lord, the righteous judge who will award to me on that day. Heaven is going to be filled with many amazing things, but the golden streets and the pearly gates would be thrift store trinkets if it weren't for the one who was sitting on the throne. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is what makes heaven amazing. Jesus is what makes the difficulties of this life worth the struggle. Jesus is the one who will one day make all things new. Jesus is the one who takes what was meant for evil and uses it for good. It's all about Jesus. The ultimate high score for the Christian, the ultimate high score for the Christ follower, is eternity with Jesus. It's to hear these words that are recorded in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with many things, so with few things, so I will make you ruler over many 
don't you hope to someday hear those words? Well done, my good and faithful. If so, then the life you're living must be worthy of the death you will someday die because death is coming. I know it's uncomfortable, but as a Christ follower, you don't have to be afraid. R.C. Sproul was a noted theologian and he said this. He said, the day of one's birth is a good day for the believer. But the day of death is the greatest day that a Christian can ever experience in this world because that is the day he goes home. The day he walks across the threshold. The day he enters the Father's house. I understand the harsh duality of death. I, like many of you, have felt the pain of losing a loved one before. But if we really truly believe what we preach about the afterlife, then the believer's last breath on earth is their final breath in paradise with Jesus forever. Every tear wiped away, no more sorrow, no more pain. The Christ follower's ultimate high score, our goal is eternity with Jesus. No matter how much sunblock we wear, we only have so much control over how long our life is. And so we today have a decision to make. We like Paul, hopefully can look down at the grave, not in fear, but in hope of the life to come. As Christians, we're not some death cult that only thinks about and talks about death and what will come, missing what God has in store for us in the here and now, but neither do we live in fear of death. Revelation 1.18 depicts Jesus holding the keys of death and hell in his hand, master and victor over both. We, like Paul, can look back at our life of service, not ashamed of who we were or what we had, had done in our past, but amazed at the grace of God that allowed us to go and give and see and do and be all that God called and equipped us to be. And we, like Paul, can look forward to a future with Christ, our prize at the end of the race. There's an old hymn of the church, and I want to end by just sharing with you the lyrics. Every once in a while, we'll sing a, an old hymn of the church here. And uh, for some of you, you might recognize these lyrics. The title of the hymn is Blessed Assurance. And I'll just read it and try not to get emotional because it... it <laughs> I mean, for, for all of us, right, there's songs that we can look back on, spiritual or otherwise, that evoke emotion within us. Um, and this is one of those for me. I think if I did sing it, it would help with me not getting emotional because we'd all be embarrassed for me. But <laughs> the, lyri <laughs> the lyrics are blessed assurance. Jesus is mine.
Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And then the chorus is a personal proclamation that says, this is my story. This is my song. Praising my savior all the day long. Is this your story? Is this your song? Can you sing that? Can you can you mean those words that your life is in and by and for Jesus? That the life you're living is worthy of the death you'll someday die because the life Jesus lived and the death that Jesus died was for you. Some of you can sing that and you can mean it and you can worship along with me, but there are some in this room that can't yet sing that and mean that because you haven't yet made that decision to give your life to Jesus, to accept him into your heart. You can't yet sing about this blessed assurance found only in Christ Jesus. The amazing thing is, you can make that decision right here, right now, by simply believing what the Bible says about Jesus is true, that he came and lived a life, a perfect life, that he died a death on the cross in your place for your sins, in payment for your sins that he rose again forever, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And currently he's preparing a place for you so that one day you can cross the finish line and he can look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You can make that decision today. Can we bow our heads and in this moment, I just wanna allow you to offer up your own prayer for those of you that have a relationship with Christ, wonderful. Maybe recommit in this moment. Maybe either grave or, 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 or looking back at a life of service or looking to Christ, one of those, or maybe inconsistent, maybe you're fearful of the grave or maybe you haven't been proud of what you've been doing or Maybe you just need to recommit your life to Christ and in one of those areas you can do that in this sacred moment. For others of you that have not yet made a decision to follow Christ, now is your moment. It's not a magical prayer that you pray. It's just a surrendering of your heart, a believing in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was. That Jesus did what the Bible said that he did. And in this moment, you too can be saved. So God, together in this moment, we pray and we, we think of, of, of death and we don't want to be fearful of it. We don't want to be ignorant of it, but we don't want to be fearful of it. And we want to believe and trust that there is something greater. That the Christ follower won't even feel the sting of death. We do, those that are left behind when someone that we love is lost, but, but they're not lost. In fact, in that moment, they're truly found. And God, if there is anyone in this room that came in not 
having made that decision, I pray that in this moment, you would reach down and in mercy and grace, you would save them. That you would welcome them into your family. So that one day, not by what they have done, but what you've done for them, you can welcome them home. For all of us, we recommit to you today. We give you our lives. It's all about you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.